Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today is The Stacks Book Club Day, and I am joined again by David Dennis Jr., the author of The Movement Made Us, to discuss our book club pick, White Negroes, When Cornrows Were in Vogue, and Other Thoughts on Cultural Appropriation by Lauren Michelle Jackson. This incredible collection of essays combines cultural criticism and rigorous scholarship to examine the co-opting and commodification of Black creativity for the purposes of white profit and power. David and I also have a very special treat to kick off this week's episode. Quick reminder, everything we talk about on each episode of The Stacks can be found in the link in the show notes. The Stacks is a completely independent podcast made possible by the support of our listeners. I cannot stress to you all enough how I would not be able to make this show each week without the support of the Stacks Pack, our incredible bookish community over on Patreon. If not for them, there would be no show. So if you like the podcast and want more of it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to earn perks like bonus episodes, shout outs on the show, our book club chats, and so much more. And be sure to stay tuned to the end of today's episode to find out what our July book club pick will be. Okay, and now it's time for my conversation with David Dennis Jr. on our book club pick, White Negroes. All right, everybody, this is the episode you've all been waiting for, not because that it, it's a book club book episode, but because... David Dennis is back, and we are going to start the show by taste testing each other's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We will get to White Negroes by Lauren Michelle Jackson, I promise you, but it's too important for us to skip over this part of the show. We're going to try not to chew into our microphones, but also hopefully Christian, my genius editor, can help us here. Um, All right, David, welcome back to The Stacks. Thanks for having me. I'm holding cold bread in my hand and I'm I'm holding lightly very upset about the cold bread. bread. So okay, we're taking our bites everybody. Before Here we go. before white negroes we have white white bread. So <laughs> white bread. Uh uh-huh. Mhm. The cold bread is 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 not working out for me at all. The melty peanut butter is not for me. I hate like the, like the cold bread. Why do you why do you not do anything to cold bread? Okay, so just for some information I've gleaned from people who have Mm -hmm. been talking to me about their peanut butter and jelly situations Mm -hmm. since your first episode. One is that 
let me ask you, are you a peanut butter or are you a jelly person? I'm a mix. It's a mix of both. I can, so I can. what I've discovered mm-hmm. is people who really like peanut butter mm-hmm. like the toasted method more. Okay. People who like jelly like the cold bread method more. And I think it's because jelly is refrigerated, so it's cold, so it really heightens the jelly. Whereas if you do if you like the peanut butter, if that's mm-hmm. what you're there for, the toasted, it's peanut butter, it's toast, it's a thing. I also heard people who actually do like a grilled cheese but with peanut butter and jelly so yeah, they like uh-huh, grill the bread uh-huh. that sounded extra horrible to me actually that was delicious. taking what i don't like <laughs> like really far that actually sounds wonderful i also had someone tell me that the superior sandwich was peanut butter and fluff that like fake marshmallow shit and that's a hard i saw that person. i saw that and i feel Ugh. like there that was a call for help that was yeah. <laughs> And then a few people were like, am I the only person who does peanut butter and banana? And I was like, no, but that's not a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's That's a a peanut butter and banana. That's a totally different situation. Yeah. I'm still going to eat more of this because um, I didn't eat lunch today in anticipation of this taste test. Okay. Yeah. Peanut butter and jelly is just, I mean, you can't really go wrong except the, like the cold bread thing is. is, Except for the toasted bread is. is, is, I also did bring a mug of um, whole milk with me. Because- I, I was close. I, we don't have any whole milk in the house because our, our children are not like your children age. But oh, but the whole milk, I've, I'm a whole milk fan uh-huh. and have been my whole life. I just now get to have a gallon because right, of my yeah. children. Yeah. But I love whole milk. When I was pregnant, I was drinking a half gallon of whole milk by myself every single week. Just I like- feel you. Are, you. are you, have you gotten back into cereal? Like the peanut butter and jelly thing happened when, when my son was young. It was like I was making, oh. and then I was like eating, and then like I got back into cereal again. Have you gotten back into cereal? I've always loved cereal. Uh-huh. So I love milk. So any food that I can have with milk is an A plus food for me. So peanut butter and jelly, cereal, um, like a pancake or a waffle moment. Okay. I will uh, order milk out at a restaurant, which mm. my best friend is very embarrassed about. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. It's sort of embarrassing, but also it's sort of like, this is who I am. And if you mm. don't want to be my best friend anymore, it's like, fine. But I ride with milk. Yeah, I love milk. Oh, and Oreos. Oreos okay. is the most yeah. important cookie in my life. It was my dad's favorite cookie. Always had it every night before bed, Oreos and milk. So it's a strong milk community, the Thomas family, for I sure. I feel you. I feel you. I feel like there's a I feel like there's a questionable <laughs> cereal take on the horizon. Do we have a which which cereal are we? I like a sugar cereal. I'm not eating cereal as I don't eat breakfast really, uh-huh. so I'm not Everything that I eat that's breakfast food is really lunch or later for me. Okay. And uh-huh. so a sugary moment. I like, I love a cinnamon toast crunch. Okay. All right. We're I like a fruit we're... loop. A fruit okay. loop is okay. I actually really like a frosted flake. Yeah. I really like a frost. And I'll put a banana in that. I will. Okay. I'm a frosted flake, um, cinnamon toast I like crunch. a golden gram sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I don't. What I don't like is a grape nut. What I don't yeah, like I is you. like a honey you. bunches of oat. It's a no for me. That's not cereal. Cereal is but, supposed to be sugar. Yeah, but he, okay. Here's a secret, sneaky, delicious cereal that's actually pretending to be healthy but has tons of sugar. Raisin Bran Crunch. I f- yeah, I've never had that because I don't do the. I don't raisin is. I don't. Oh, you don't eat raisin. Well, I eat raisins, but like that's <laughs> not. A, I feel like that's not a cereal. Oh. Okay, I will not eat a raisin bran to save my life, but a raisin bran crunch, mm-hmm. delicious and fake healthy. It has sugar, people. I'm not selling out my sugar friends. I'm going to throw you a curveball. I'm going to throw you a curveball here. Rice crispy treat cereal. I like rice crispy cereal with just added sugar, just spoonful of sugar on top. Get it in the but milk, stir it in. Rice crispy treat cereal does all of that, 
They're hard to find. You got to order them <laughs> online at Walmart.com. <laughs> That's the only place you can get them at. The so. show is not sponsored by Walmart yet. Not but yet. Yes. I will be sending this out to some friends at yes. Walmart. Yes. Go get your go get your Juneteenth ice cream <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> immediately. This is a black approved cereal, so it is also Juneteenth approved. Obviously. There you go. Yes. Speaking of appropriating things, that was mm-hmm. a beautiful transition. Yeah. yeah. We're here to really, that was our food segment. Now we're here to talk about white Negroes when cornrows were in vogue and other thoughts on cultural appropriation by Lauren Michelle Jackson. I am so excited to talk about this book. Um, We always start here. Can you just sort of tell me what you thought of the book? I thought the book was such a masterful curation of like all of these moments like, I don't want to say, like, the word aggregate has such a negative connotation now, but it's sort of like... It this, does? Yeah, well, like, on the, you know, like, you just aggregate, you take, like, little pieces of... I see. ...something, of a, an, like, an actual report, and then I make see. your own separate article about it and get cheap clicks. Like, it has that sort of I connotation see. now, but it's like, yeah, like, I was sort of in the mix of all of this stuff, like, in terms of writing about it as it was happening, but, like, I, it just, you forget the massive... I don't know, just all of the crap that white folks have <laughs> been doing, especially like in the last decade, you know, like it's just and, and it was just so masterfully like put together and, you know, explained and collected. It was almost like a which is one of the most fascinating parts of the book. It's almost like an art exhibit, you know, like an exhibit mm-hmm. in book mm-hmm. form where they just like mm-hmm. curated everything mm-hmm. to make these points. And you go through these different levels. And so. I was really into it. I'd forgotten a lot of the stuff that happened. Um, but yeah, that was that's how I feel about it. Yeah. Okay. I really loved this book. I read it in I actually weirdly, I was looking at my Goodreads. I read it the exact same week that I read it this year uh-huh. in 2020. So I read it the first week of June 2020 and the first week of June 2022. I liked it even better the second time. I had still forgotten a lot of the things in the book when I reread it this time. I really loved how at the start of each section, she had like this pop culture moment that she was sort of explaining without naming it. Like Mm -hmm. when she did the whole Rachel Dolezal moment, but she called her by her like new name or whatever. Uh I was like, I'm like, this sounds so much like Rachel Dolezal. (laughs) What is this? And then I was like, oh my God, I forgot. She like got a new name. Mm. Um, So I really liked that framing. And I liked what you're saying, like the scope of it, like Mm. how how broad and how tight she was able to go. I also really liked that the way that she was talking about appropriation wasn't just like, oh, white people stole this thing. But it was like, you know, especially like in the language section, she Mm. was talking about like the words that white people like took over and started using. But she wasn't talking about like white people using the word she was talking about the way white people then like weaponize the right. words like mm. she was talking about the violence and like the power within appropriation which i thought was really smart because i think anybody could put together a list of like this word was used or like this song is a black song right. you know like she was like okay let's actually look at what that then does and so i really loved all of that and i feel like you know in the first paragraph she defines appropriation and she basically is like The word centuries old denotes an act of transport, some item or a motif or a bit of property changing hands. An artist might appropriate an ancient symbol in a painting or a government might appropriate monies through taxes to fund public education. Taking only the root of the word, the meaning seems clear to make something appropriate for another context. In some circles, the word is still used this way, but colloquially, not so much. 
And then she goes on to talk about like, you know, everybody appropriates and all this stuff. But the difference between that kind of appropriation and like appropriation that's harmful is this power, is Mm. the powerful appropriating from the oppressed. And that's like the whole of the book, which I also really love because so many people are like, everyone appropriates. What's the big deal? And it's like, okay, you're literally wearing a native person's headdress (laughs) right now telling me that my costume is appropriation because I'm dressed up like a golden girl. Mm. Like, one is a costume, one is an identity. Right. But anyways, anyways, so great. We're on the same page. We loved the book. I want to ask you, one of the reasons I really wanted to do this book with you is because you write about pop culture and you talk about pop culture and you're very much in pop culture. And I want to know, like, when you're writing about it and you're thinking about these things and you're seeing them happen and you're like, okay, I'm going to have to now talk about this on a platform. How do you approach it? How mm. do you think about it? Knowing like right now you write for Anscape, which is like an ESPN imprint, they call it an imprint, but it's for black, it's like about black culture, Mm -hmm. but it's not just black readers. So how do you think about like that space that you occupy and the way that you talk about these things? Uh, Well, it's interesting because I want to talk to you and ask you about the audience for this book, which is, I have a lot of thoughts about that and how she did work with that too. But um, yes. Just like I, I just really think about like my friends, like who are gonna read. Like I just think about black folks who are reading it. Yeah. You know, like I, like early on in my career, I thought like when I got my first sort of big crossover. Yeah, get that, get the, <laughs> get that delicious <laughs> peanut butter jelly. Yep, uh huh. It's it was good. It's growing on you. Um, I'm just so hungry. Yeah, it's growing on you. But um, <laughs> I was thinking about like when I first started at the Guardian. That was like my first big thing, like 2012, and I was like, I'm gonna write. And like explain to white people why they're wrong. And it's gonna change their mind, mm-hmm. and they're gonna like come mm-hmm. come. And like it took me exactly one article to realize mm-hmm. that that's mm-hmm. not gonna happen, mm-hmm. never gonna happen. So it's like I'd rather just write for like the black folks who feel like they're the only black person in the room, you know, mm-hmm. and just be like, you have somebody who's like riding for you, you know. Right. And that's sort of how I think about it. I try to think about it of like, how are we? processing this and how do you feel like how can you possibly feel seen in the way that this this is being talked about like how can we talk about in a way that the like the quote-unquote mainstream media is not talking about it but what are we saying and how can we um sort of frame it in a way that's that does the most service to us that it's written you know like what is the function of it being written what and who are you writing it for and who's reading it and what, what can we do about it? You know? And what's the answer? Well, it varies. I mean, it, <laughs> it varies, it varies depending on what we're talking about. You know, like sometimes I feel like I have to write, you know, for, you know, in a way that's like, look, fellow black man, like we, this is jacked up, <laughs> you know, like we're not, right. we're not doing this the right way or to say, this is not, you know, like thinking about, all right, LGBT folks, like this is how I'm processing this in a way that like can hopefully be something that straight men will read, but like will also let you know that you are seen also, you know, so it, it right. varies depending on it. Like I really don't, you know, like some, some writers, um, like I, I really do not think about white people at all when I write. 
You know, really, I, I don't think about. I don't think about. Well, I don't, I'm like, say, you I don't, don't think just, about don't... like getting in trouble or like getting pushed. Like, I, I'll be honest, I do. Like, I sometimes will have like we have to talk about something, and I'm like, motherfuck, like I don't want to deal with the response. Mm. So I'm gonna think about like the most diplomatic way to say this so that I don't have to deal with white people because like people who listen to the show know fucking hate my dms more than life right you know yeah. like i just it's like it's my fucking social media i don't want to deal with it like and so i do and i know a lot of people like i don't think about the white gays or like the white audience but like how can you not well i don't i mean because i know like because like i mean i learned I, that garden article that first article <laughs> was like about being like pulled over and like the mm. and it was all the comments were like telling me it was my imagination right got it and i was just like <laughs> you know Nothing I can, there's nothing I can do for mm-hmm. for that. And mm-hmm. like, I have customized my social media experience to where mm. <laughs> they're not in the mentions pretty much. You know, like if it's, if they don't follow you, I have the thing on Twitter, they don't follow, they're not in your mentions. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of time, you know, like I mute, I block, I do all that stuff. And it's like, like, I don't ever think about how can I explain this thing to white folks, you know? Sure. Or like, how can I, and I definitely don't think about like, all right, white folks, like I might get in trouble with white people, you know, mm-hmm. um, at all, because like white folks can't put me in trouble, <laughs> you know, like there's like, right. they can't do anything to right. me. Like, and, and it's, it's more like, it's more worthwhile for like a black woman to be like, look, you know, thank you for talking about R. Kelly or Bill Cosby or whatever, right. you know, or like calling out such and such because- you know, a lot of folks are not doing it in that way or for, you know, so that's like more important. But I don't think like I don't ever think about like, I mean, obviously there are some sort of white gays. And like when I was writing the book, like my editor was editing the book. So like right. that's a white person, that right. I like, had to like, <laughs> right, right, right. like a literal white person. But like I try not to I, I, I don't think about like what a, what will white people say or how, how or am I going to make white people angry or black men like I make a lot of black men angry with the stuff I write sure. I don't think about sure. I don't think about that too much I want to revise what I said just really quickly it's not that I I would ever lie because I'm worried about what white people think but for me it's like is it worth weighing in on this thing period mm-hmm. like do I want to talk about this thing into a microphone and put it on the internet forever like maybe maybe we just maybe I just won't ask about that right, you know yeah. like that's sort of how it manifests for me so it's not like if someone asked me I would be like oh no I won't right. make white people comfortable but it's more just like mm, well I today. mean there's, there's sometimes where it's like is like do I have enough of value to say about this thing that's right. worth right whatever you know what I'm saying that's whatever worth the pushback right whatever, whatever the whatever yeah. the, the situation is going to be like I'll get like a perfect example is like I just sort of punted on the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing. Oh. Mostly yeah. because I mean I I mean obviously just white folks, but like I usually I just sort of keep an eye on that stuff. Yeah. But I was like so far gone by the time I got to it, it was like I don't even know what to do. And there there'll right, be some times right. where it's like this is more like I don't have enough like insight to offer that makes it worth mm-hmm. the trouble. Like I'll mm-hmm. I'll think you know, mm-hmm. that like that stuff is sort of what is where where I'll be with it. Like clearly there's a lot of like weirdness and misogyny and all that stuff with like Michael B. Jordan and Lori Harvey or like Will mm-hmm. Smith and J- like perfect Will Smith and, and Jada at the sure. at the Oscars. Like there's tons of like that sort of stuff. I don't really, really feel like I had much to offer besides like stop 
being weird about Will and Jada, you know, yeah. like that was yeah. worth like that sort of thing. I wrote something about it, about, you know, comedians and Chris Rock and right. like the fact that comedians get hit all the time. It's right. just like was weird for Chris Rock. because He's usually the richest person in the room and he right. wasn't anymore. Right. Um, right. But, right. I, but, you know, like in terms that like so sometimes, yeah, I'd be like, it's not worth it to have the conversation. Right. Okay. You wanted to ask about audience and I want to talk about audience too. Yeah. So this book, I remember buying this book. This book came out like 2019. 2019. And I bought the book, I want to say, maybe I bought it in 2019, but I think I started like really looking at it to read like right when there was this influx of like the anti-racism books Mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. you know, some like these 12 step race books that like didn't feel like they were written for me, you know? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. like, she writes this book about cultural appropriation that doesn't feel like she's explaining it to white people why they're wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's so, that would have been so easy to do, you know? And Mm -hmm. I I guess Mm -hmm. like, who, like, who do you think is like picking this book up? Like, first of all, what, how do you think she does that? Who do you think is picking this book up? Who do you think is getting the most from reading this book? So one of the things that, so I follow Lauren on social media, on Twitter, Mm -hmm. and she's one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter because she does not fuck with this (laughs) anti-racism as like pedagogy Uh idea. Like she's been a very outspoken critic of Nicole Hannah-Jones and the 1619 Project. She's been a very open critic of Ibram X. Kendi, Mm -hmm. who those two are probably like the two faces of this like post-George Floyd murder celebrity moment though Mm. i know they were both doing their work before i was more familiar with them before i've kind of fallen off with them but lauren this author she has like her tweets she's always got the Uh, like side eye tweets going like someone tell your little friend like you know she's like really getting Uh, petty and so i love and respect that for her i think that that is obviously who she is because again this book came out in 2019 which means it was written before 2018 Mm. it was you know So she was not writing any of this in this lens of like anti-racism training. Mm. And I think for her, she probably thought like, look, I'm like you, I'm not going to convince white people why they're wrong. And at the end of the introduction, she specifically says sort of who her audience is. She says, to anyone confused about it all, I hope that I may be of service in enlightenment. Then she says to those who count themselves allies, maybe these essays make you a little less sure of yourself. And then she says, to those who've been known, oh no, to those who've been new, may you revel in the wonder of what people like us have made out of this dull, dull world. Mm -hmm. So she essentially says, like, if you picked up this book because, like, you want to know about a cultural appropriation, I got you. If you picked up this book because you thought you were a good white person, hold tight. And if you're black and you fucking know, I'm just laying out arguments for you. And I really think that, like, that is very much who she's writing to. And I think with that, audience in mind and like not the broader white person but like Mm. the specific white person who is gonna pick up pick up a book like this like i think i think she nails it like i think it is the perfect tone for all three of those audiences um i love this book and usually when i read like anti-racist books or whatever that's big air quotes i roll my eyes a lot Mm. because i just think it's like it's like so self-congratulatory, right? especially ones that have come out since 2020. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what I was thinking was going to, was happened. was going to, I was going to read, you know, right. Or not. Um, when when I, I picked this book, you thought 
Oh, no, no, when no, you no, picked no. it up. When I picked it, when I bought it. <laughs> when I bought it, I was I like. I was like, you thought I was going to make you read some bullshit? No, no, you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you in everything but peanut butter and jelly. So I thought, okay, um, I was like, yeah. So I was like, man, you know, who knows what this is actually. But it, it, yeah, it felt more like when you're sitting around talking with black folks about how, like, about white folks being whatever yeah. <laughs> you know like yeah. it was like man white folks are tripping and like you remember yeah. that you remember that thing and then yeah. that was sort of like what it was and she just sort of lays it out like that that's yeah it was just in- incredibly done it was incredibly done. yeah it's so well done and she's an academic too mm-hmm. you know so it's like got the gravity of that it's not right. just like you and me being like fucking rachel dolezal or right. like damn daniel like it's like also let me explain to you right. like what a meme is or whatever mm-hmm. do you think so in reading this book post 2020 racial reckoning, whatever, whatever you want to call that moment where people discovered racism uh, or white people discovered racism. Do you think that 20 since 2020, this whole like conversation idea around appropriation, do you think it's better or worse for you as a black person? Um, I'm so over it for the most part, <laughs> you know, like I'm just so like, you know, not to hurt your, your Walmart thing, but like the Juneteenth <laughs> ice cream. I was just like, I felt nothing. I saw it and I felt nothing because I was just like, you know, really. And like the thing this book does is like, it's like she said, we've been new. It was sort of like, it was like, man, we've been like really doing, you know, like, because like, I think one of the things that happens is there's so much high intense, serious stuff going on Mm -hmm. that you Mm -hmm. forget the micro and these aren't even microaggressive. Like, do you forget right. the like this stuff that feels insignificant in the grand scheme of it? Mm-hmm. But it is large. Like the art museum stuff mm-hmm. blew my yeah. mind. Like all, like yeah. pretty much all the other stuff in the book. I remember, like it brought back memories. I remembered where I was. I remembered mm-hmm. writing about mm-hmm. it. Decided not to write about it. But the, and I vaguely remembered some of the art stuff, like the um, I think what the Michael Brown exhibit. Yeah, like that. I remember that vaguely happening, but I don't ever cover art exhibit in the. But like right, all, right. The, like that was the thing that made me be like, man, these white folks are tripping. Like, what is wrong? <laughs> like, what are y'all doing? Like, that was the one that like, and and I'm and for people who are not as sort of embedded in the pop culture, stuff, I'm sure this book had a million more of those moments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I was just like, my goodness, like, are y'all serious right now? Like, can y'all, like, right. what are y'all doing? And right. the ability for, like, in the, in that art space, again, the ability to do that sort of unchecked because folks are not keyed in on it as much as they, you know, the other pop culture stuff was just like, that's it, like makes you feel like why you need to be even more, you know, I'm happy we have so many folks in the pop culture space who are diligently doing this, but right. like they're creeping around in the, <laughs> in all these other spaces. And it was, right. it blew my mind. Yeah. I, I've been you know, thinking about like if 2020 has made this better or worse for me or to me. And I think it's made it worse to Mm. me. Like I just, cause what I see a lot of now is like self-righteous white people calling things out as if they are absolved because they noticed. Right. Which like, to me, it's like the, it's like the most annoying kid on the playground. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh, let me let me point this thing out to you and like explain why this is bad and show you that I know. And so like none of the appropriation stuff is new. It hasn't really changed at all. 
since before 2020, since 1920, you know, mm. like the book. But like the thing now that just like grates my gears is the like performance of, I don't want to say woke, but like this performance of like observation, this performance right. of like getting it. Mm -hmm. That is a thing that is like made, makes it appropriation even worse for me now because mm -hmm. i'm just like i wish you just would act like you didn't know and shut the right. fuck up and leave <laughs> right. me alone yeah. or like text your group chat with your white friends and be like oh my god i saw this horrible thing that michelle did but mm -hmm. like don't i don't need to i don't need like 10 stories on your instagram about it like i don't you're not convincing me that you you're not gonna do the same thing tomorrow and right. then be like oh i didn't know that's why education like i'm learning like all this stuff it's just mm -hmm. like no it's a no for me but like for here's this this example happened today in the book space is like some white girl made a reel um and she used the music from family matters and it was uh -huh. like what kind of reader are you and it was like a sitcom and she had like these different things and then someone was like oh my god i love this song what is it and she was like i have no idea and i was like so you made this whole reel uh -huh. using this like classic black sitcom song and then you didn't even fucking know it's like the mm. guy in the book who was like they were like, oh, did Rasta like inspire the dreadlocks? And he was like, no. And I really, truly believe that that man right. just didn't even know. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe I'm giving him too much credit. But like, that's the thing that just like, it's just like, ah, it's just so much more annoying now. Because I'm like, aren't you supposed to be faking like, you know, and you care right. So when you, when you fuck up and then like <laughs> someone else has to tell me about it? I'm just like, no. Right. And like the profiting off of it. You tweeted yesterday or two days ago about like all the publications that reached out to you in 2020 being oh, like, love yeah. your work. Yeah. And like, have you heard from any of them recently? Yeah, no, absolutely not. Like there was That's a, right. yeah, 2020 was like just the nastiest, like the worst. I mean, it was the worst for a lot of things, but it was absolutely terrible for the journalism industry. And I mean, I was getting white editors, places that I had dreamed about writing for, places, sure. editors that I had pitched nonstop. And they were like, I'm such a big fan of your work. Can you write about this dead black person? You know? Right. And I'm like, I can, but if you are such a big fan of my work, then you would know that I've written about like a million different other things that have nothing to do with this. Like, right. why didn't you ask me to write about that stuff? You know? And some of the things that people asked me to write were just like embarrassing and anti-black mm -hmm. <laughs> and just ridiculous. I had long conversations with people who just, and I just be like, look, trust the black person talking to you, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it's, yeah, it was just like, I think the thing that, to go back to your last question from 2020 to now, is that white folks, I think a lot of white folks feel as though they paid their dues mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. like they got they were asked in, to be in uncomfortable situations. They had to go to workshops. They had to read the anti-racist book at, at work for like. They had to listen to the black person in their office the, right, say had, words. Right. They had to go to the DEI meetings. Mm -hmm. They had mm -hmm. to like sit there and take it for a whole mm -hmm. summer. They had to sit there mm -hmm. and take it. Like there was one like. <laughs> I think uh, one thing I, I did say in 2020, I was like, white folks, like, dealt with races, like, with this stuff for one month and are exhausted. Like, exhausted. They, got, they, were, they like, June take 2020. Your, take your break. You know, right. this work is so exhausting. You need right. to be, you need to be okay. 
to like keep they, doing this work. Like I had, you know, I went to all white schools. I had classmates offer to send me money for like my kids' college educations. I got like so many they, emails. Right. <laughs> you know, like there's, they did their outreach, they did their emails, they did all that mm-hmm. stuff. They felt like mm-hmm. they took it, right? Mm-hmm. And now they can like go back and like the audacity, it's almost like, you know, the people who are like, I've been in the house for the pandemic and now I'm going to wild out. So yeah. like now I'm going to go to a licking competition right, and lick right. people's faces. That's exactly. So like these white folks could summer 2020 taking their, you know, yeah. taking their lashes and then they came out like, all right, audacity is back and we're turning mm-hmm. it up to 100. And it's like reading the book was like all of this stuff was just audacity. It was just like mm-hmm. the uh, audacity of like so many white folks. Mm-hmm. And it, to see it sort of like come back full circle after like a couple of weird years where things were trying to figure it out. And it's like on 10 right now. Yeah. And yeah, it's just. Well, I feel like in response to like the white people like having to sit through and like be lectured to mm-hmm. or like whatever, however they want to frame it, is that like all of these book bands and like. Right. All of this stuff is related to summer 2020. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like all of this CRT, all of that is the backlash. Like mm. it's all connected. It's all part of the indignation they feel at having had to pretend mm-hmm. like they cared. Because right. for a lot of, I mean, I know there are some white people who do care and did care, but I would venture to say any white person who truly cared also cared in like March 2020 and they cared in like March 2019. And like, you know, like I just don't believe that you didn't care about black people at all. And then someone was like, watch this video of a black man being killed in 2020 and come to a protest. And now you're going to (laughs) care. Like I just, I, it doesn't work that way. Even Mm -hmm. I know there are things that I probably should care about that I don't care about. And like, I know what it feels like to fake it. You know, we all do. But I think like, the power part of it is like being able to then have your people go on and pass legislation that says you can't, my people can't learn about my people's history. Like Mm. that's the part where I'm just like, sure that, I mean, I think then again, that's like in the book, it's the power part of it and it's the money part of it. Mm -hmm. It's the economic profiting that is like what, what makes, what takes like the audacity part to make it just like horrific. Like that, like, and I, I don't know, like, in the work that you do, I'm sure it's true because like racism, but I know for me, like, and this is really small and nobody cares and I don't really care anymore. I've moved past it, but like in the, I haven't really, that's why I'm going to talk about it, but I kind of have, but like in the book influencer space, Uh like there's not like, you can't get a blue check. Mm -hmm. You can't get a bunch of followers if you're black, right? but the white people who post the black book stacks, oh my God, mm-hmm. stars, you know? Yeah, and it's like, uh, that's the part for me that I'm just like, look, you can, you haven't read these books. I know you haven't. Right. <laughs> so like, yeah. just let me post them because I have. And uh-huh. like, let me get the, you know, like, let me do my thing. But it's just like, constantly we see it over and over in the book. It's like the weed entrepreneurs or mm-hmm. entrepreneurs or whatever, right? Like, that's the one that I'm just like, yeah. These people, these white women are like selling weed, CBD oil on their podcasts or whatever, mm. says a person <laughs> who has a podcast or whatever. <laughs> and then they're asked about like 
reparations. And they're like, we shouldn't talk about that because it's going to make it harder to do what we do. Like, that's the part that I'm just like, you fucking know. Mm -hmm. You fucking know. And like Lauren lays it out in this book, like Christina Aguilera fucking knew what she was doing. Maybe if she didn't know, no, her team knew. Mm -hmm. Like, none of this is an accident. And I feel like that's the part of the book that's like so infuriating. And that's also the part like post 2020 because like if you give white people the benefit of the doubt that they really didn't know about racism and now you know and also you're like super excited to vote for mitch mcconnell like fuck you you know right yeah no i think um wait wait let's take a quick break and we'll be right back taking care of your health isn't always easy but it should be at least simple that's why for the last Three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay, we're back. Go ahead. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, the we thing was so interesting because it's been written about so many times, mm-hmm. but she, like, the part, the one thing that in this, that I've repeated more than anything else in this book is the fact that what in Nashville, 
you need a certain license to do braids. Oh, black hair. Black yeah. hair. And it's really hard for black women to obtain this license for, I guess, how much it costs or the, the people. Well, it's not available it. in a lot of classes right. yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And just the t- like the talk about that and, you know, how she'd move from that to the weed stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the weed stuff, I, I talked to my like when I was teaching, I would talk to my students all the time about like reframing these narratives. Right. Mm-hmm. And. There's this idea, like, especially in black folks in within black communities, it's like, you know, well, the black owned business is like janky or whatever, right? Like you're not gonna get what you, you know, you're not gonna get what you ordered or they're rude or whatever, right. whatever. And I tell people all the time, the be- best run, most professional business that you know nine out of ten times is your weed dealer. Hmm. Like they run a tight ship. Tight ship <laughs> You yeah. get what you want. You know, every you get your order, you get it precise, <laughs> you get everything, mm-hmm. good customer service. And that is a black business, right? right. Uh, black or brown business or whatever in your neighborhood that the only reason is we don't consider it a business is because archaic racist laws that make it right. not that case. You know, like, like black folks know how to run businesses, you know? And just the the way that, you know, she just talked about the weed business and all that stuff was just, I mean, I was just, I was all in it. I was all in right. it. Right. Yeah. And that ties into the food section too, mm. about like how much people are willing to pay for like, quote unquote, ethnic food. Right. Uh-huh. Which I would, you know, maybe reframe as food of the global majority or whatever. But it's like that there's assumption that Asian food should be cheap. That like mm. Asian noodles should be cheap, but like Italian noodles should not. Right. It's fucking noodles, you guys. Right. <laughs> You know, like if we're ta- if if the reason that it should be cheap is because it's noodles and rice, then you're going to have to explain to me why your risotto can be thirty dollars, mm. you know, like and, sh- and I think it's David Chang on the show. He's like interviewing the like hot the white hot chicken guys. Right. Like, yeah, we're literally like we know we owe a debt of gratitude to these black institutions. And he says, like, what happens if you kill the thing that inspired you? Mm-hmm. And I feel like. That's such an important question, Mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. I can't answer it necessarily, though I can. I'm sure there's things that I appropriate that I have like the power, like probably like gay, queer culture, like that stuff. Mm -hmm. But like, I do think that that question is like, if you get your way and there's no more black hot chicken places, Mm -hmm. whose recipe are you going to steal? Like, who's new this or that is going to inspire you. Mm -hmm. And if it is a white business, they might, you know, be taken seriously enough to come back at you with legal action. Right. Like, cause that's (laughs) the other part of it. Like nobody cares what black people think. And like, they just think this like, and I I feel like this happens a lot in sports. It's like, Oh, it's natural. This comes Mm -hmm. natural to that person. You know, whereas, I mean, I'm sure you know the trope of like the black athlete is like, naturally gifted and, and then the white and, yeah and yeah. the white athlete is disciplined mm. and focused you know and who who would have thought it was possible that jj right. reddick could make baskets right the white man <laughs> right six foot like, six white man <laughs> or like how nobody calls lebron james a genius right you know right. like right it in order for him to see the pass ahead of time right and do that is genius work Right. You know, and I mean, it's, same it's with Michael Jordan. Yeah. You can't be the greatest 
ever in your field and not be intelligent. Right. Like, it's just not possible. You know what I mean? Like, it's just with no matter what the field is, if you're the fucking best, you understand that thing inside and out. You've studied it. You've researched it. You've watched it. You like there's no way to be the goat and Mm. to just be like a buffoon. Right. You know? Like, it's so racist. Even if, like, you're a genius only in that one thing. You yeah, know? only in that one thing. <laughs> the only thing, one thing. You but, can, like, but you're still the genius in that it's, thing. I mean, for if we're using basketball, like, I can't, I still can't even see what a triangle offense looks right. like. I don't, I don't know. I'm like, uh, they're, they're in zone now. I'm like, it right. looks, it look, I, it's hard, you know, like, so to be able to see it and like understand it and break it down and, and talk about it. I know, um, he's not my favorite person right now, even though I love the Warriors, but Draymond Green has been also talked about in that same way. Mm-hmm. He's like a real basketball savant. Right. That like he can see it. I even think LeBron has said that about him. Right. And like. Yeah. These black men, these dark skinned black men especially, mm. do not get the credit. But like, please allow JJ Reddick to sit at the table and explain basketball to me. You know? Right. And like JJ Reddick's good at basketball. Like it's not against him, but it's just like this idea that it's gotta be a light skinned guy, it's gotta be a white guy, mm-hmm. and and that everyone else is just naturally talented and what a fluke. Right. You know, got- but like no one says that Djokovic or um Doncic was born to be a basketball player, even right. though he was seven feet or whatever the fuck. But like, oh, the like black they transcended guy. their their whiteness yeah. to be. I'm like, you're seven feet tall. What <laughs> right. else are you gonna do? Just right. kidding. I know seven feet tall people do other things. I just, you know, anyways. Right. You know, I'm glad I'm glad you went to the food one because like you said that if you were not doing book podcasts, you'd be doing like sports. But if I were not doing this, I would be a food person i would do all these things my dream job is to bring food sports and books together into my house that's the way yeah the, I, I mean i the one so the food thing was fascinating to me fascinating for a lot for a lot of reasons not the least of which is paula dean paula like, dean okay here's oh my, my Paul, here's my okay. paula dean i have a couple paula dean stories one <laughs> for my me and my wife's uh for our honeymoon we were in savannah I mean, we went okay. to Paula Dean's restaurant. Oh, and it was delicious. And it's it like was. it was really good. And okay. it's also very clear as she laid out the book that this is not white folks' recipes, right? Okay, like it's clear. Like okay. people talk about, like I don't know if you have if you if you've ever been to Cracker Barrel, but no, I've never. I've yeah, Cracker Barrel is delicious. Yes, it feels, you know, a little slavery in there. And, okay. and there's like, it's like very old timey and it has this like feeling of like you've gone back in time. But those are black recipes up in that Cracker Barrel, right? They are. And so, um, <laughs> and so Paula Dean's <laughs> restaurant was delicious, right? But a few years, so there was this video and I wrote about it at like very short in the early blog smoking section days. Like we used to do like these sort of quick blurb things. And at, there was this video of like somebody threw like a ham, like at, and like, you know, Paul Dean was doing like those like ham giveaways or whatever. And somebody oh, okay. threw it at her, like threw it okay. and she did, and it hit her in the face. Okay. I and it. I thought it was hilarious. And like, it was, it was that smoke sex, a hip hop site. And all these black dudes, all these brothers were like, that's not funny. Like you, like don't make fun of Paula Dean. She's a saint. She's like the best person wow. ever. And I felt so redeemed mm. when she was, you know, this, N-word spouting racist, right, right. but I could not believe 
what I didn't know is that she went on after that and like she made like ninety five million dollars like with her own network of stuff. I didn't know and, that her downfall was not the N word. Right. Because I obviously <laughs> stopped paying attention after that. Not right. that I was like super dialed in. I'm more of a barefoot contessa gal myself, if I'm okay. being honest. But All she right. really taps into her whiteness. She's really not stealing from people of color. Like she right. does not have a anything black she does not have anything asian like, guy, like guy fieri he just goes around yeah and, you know, yeah he knows barefoot contessa is giving you a grilled eggplant she is giving <laughs> you like a macaroni and cheese with, uh-huh. which is just it's a caucasian food and right. you know what it's great party food very easy you can sit out on the couch uh-huh. for a while anyways love barefoot contessa. sidebar did you watch <laughs> you ever watch beat bobby flay no so beat bobby flay you know they have i used to he's love the, beat he's the beat, grill guy yeah, I used to love Beat Bobby Flay because it was like they would have, you know, somebody would would challenge him in their specialty. So oh. it'd be like, you know, Mr. Meatball Got uh, who it. owns a meatball like, restaurant yeah, yeah, yeah. would be like, I'm going to challenge you to cook a meatball sandwich and Bobby Flay would cook it and then he would win, right? Often right, right, he'd right. win. But what would piss me off about Beat Bobby Flay, which fits into this book, is that you would have folks, you would have like this Vietnamese lady be like, mm. I'm making pho. And this is like how I made it. My mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he would make some soup that yeah. is nothing. And he would win. He would <laughs> always beat the folks by making like some white version of some shit that's not the actual thing that you're supposed to be making. You know that would make and me that, furious. It, I had to stop watching Beat Bobby Flay because he was just beating, just whooping ethnic folks in their own food mm-hmm. by making mm-hmm. a white thing and making it would piss thing. me off so much. I'm sorry. Keep going. It's Go. okay. <laughs> anyway, so my point is that I'm not a huge Paula Deen person. I never uh. was. I am a pretty f- much a f- food purist. I don't like to mix foods. And one of the things I don't like about Paula Deen is it's a lot of this wrapped in that. Okay. I like uh. this and I like that. I don't like this wrapped in that. Okay. That's So that's why I'm not into her. Or I wasn't into her. But I had no idea that the reason she had a downfall is because she had fucking type 2 diabetes and lied about it. <laughs> right, yeah. And people were like mad at her because yeah. she made them also have type 2 diabetes with her recipes or whatever. Like that is the that is like so quintessentially this book, right? right. Like it has nothing to do with the N-word. It has nothing to do with stealing recipes. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do with the fact that she fucked over white people. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's where the line is drawn, you know? And like that bitch, <laughs> like you guys gave her $95 million right. after she was like, yeah, I use the N word a mm-hmm. lot. Right. And I made my employees go through separate entrances <laughs> and I stole their recipes. And I wanted to give my brother a plantation wedding, a real plantation experience. Right. And people were like, that's fine. You that's guys. That's cool. Right. Yeah. That's her culture. Right. What is it? What do they say about the Confederacy? Culture over. Right. Yeah. Whatever. whatever, Yeah. Culture over country or I don't know. Some shit. But like the, the, the Paula Dean thing and the throne ham thing and these black dudes defending her. Right. Really made me think about like at the undercurrent of a lot of this stuff is like, sorry, like a lot of black dudes who are like either in this pursuit of whiteness or like mm-hmm. in this pursuit of power who are in, enabling this in a, in a, in a very, in a weird way. Like there, I, have, I don't know if you've read, and this is like one of the most brilliant articles I've ever read. I think Clover Hope wrote it. Um, and it was about Iggy Azalea. Mm-mm. It was about like this rise of Iggy Azalea, but she only interviewed black men. 
mm. who like helped her, her along the way. Like didn't she date Swaggy P? Yeah, she dated Swaggy P, but it was like the producers, the engineers, like the people co-signed her, like all the, but it, the article never said like the black men who enabled, it was just like the rise of Iggy Azalea and just mm-hmm. like, all. and so like, I think about, you know, even at the beginning, like Christina Aguilera got a whole album produced by DJ Premier, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and like there's this feeling of like that. Black, like these dudes who are like, see the, this appropriate, like they see the appropriation as a two-way door, mm. <clears throat> you know, like they, they're, they're going to take from us, but they're going to bring us up with them right on the but way. they don't. And they don't ever. They don't. And you end up with Justin Timberlake, who though all those beats, you know, I love Timberland. I mm-hmm. love Pharrell. Mm-hmm. All the beats could have gone to Usher, mm-hmm. you know, all the beats could have gone to Omarion, really. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and they would have made just as good songs. And then as soon as Justin Timberlake was like, I'm going to be white again. He like he put on his little his little fucking <laughs> hunter's outfit. Yeah. And he was like, and, I'm John of the Forest or whatever the right. fuck that album yeah, was like, called. And, and went white again. And what's her name? Uh, the twerking uh, Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus. Did the same thing. They like same went thing. white. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly mm-hmm. is going back to white. And it's what's just like. The, what's his name? Red, Red One who did Lady Gaga. Uh, red, uh, you know, in the beginning of like Just Dance, she's like, red one, gah, gah. <laughs> That's <laughs> no, like the producer, keep, red one. Okay. All right. Anyways, she had, I'm pretty sure he's a white black person too, but uh. she also has gone full Tony Bennett. Yeah. Only, exclusive Caucasian, exclusive, right. deep white. And obviously our book club pick last month was Shine Bright by Danielle mm-hmm. Smith. So for this book to start in the music section, right. and it felt like such a seamless transition from this like erasure of black women in pop music to... Because here's the other thing that's so fucked up also, is that black people in America, black mus- or music in America is almost all exclusively based off of black music. Right. And like, I think about the sort of reverse of this, which is not the reverse because black people invented country music. But like when Beyonce went to the country music awards and everyone was so upset and they gave the, she gave the best performance ever with (laughs) the Dixie chicks. And it's like, so we can't sing quote unquote your music, even though Mm. it's our music, but you guys can come over here and have Lil Kim dancing with you in your little, you know, urban Harlem. Right. (laughs) Imaginary Disneyland set. Like it's, it's just like the hypocrisy of it also is so infuriating, you know, like and just even when black people just like sing a song, it's like, oh, it's an R&B artist. It's like, right. well, that, why isn't that pop? That could be pop. Not Man. that there's anything wrong with R&B. Love R&B. But like, why is that R&B? Well, I, well, you know, I did an article like a long time ago that sort of like and in, went into those categories, you know, mm-hmm. like Beyonce hasn't like she's won like what 20 grammys or something like that i don't i don't have a number <laughs> but like only like three of them are in the non-urban quote-unquote categories right. urban you know of course yes you know like she's one no she will you know sweep up the r&b mm-hmm. sweep up all that stuff but mm-hmm. when it's like pop or mm-hmm. best song or mm-hmm. best album it's mm-hmm. like no you stay over taylor there. swift is here yeah like you stay like drake 
Like, you cannot tell me Drake does not make pop music. You know, like Drake. Made, you can't tell me Drake makes rap music. I got to be honest. Well, <laughs> that's a harder sell to me. Yeah. Like, if it's like, so, is Drake a pop artist or a rap artist? I might have to go pop. Like, yeah, that's where like I'm going. he is a he is a pop artist. Like he when he did um, God's Plan, when he made God's oh, Plan yeah. and then Post Malone made some whatever song and Post Malone was a pop artist mm-hmm. and God's Plan was a rap song mm-hmm. and it's like you there's mm-hmm. no rapping in God's Plan like God's Plan isn't is a pop song and like right. those all those categories just rate they really just made the categories so white people could win awards right and they That's made the categories to like gatekeep black people out right yeah to be like don't you don't have to take this category serious because it's the best song in this category it's not the best song you know right um and we see that i mean i see that a ton in books too Mm. right that it's like oh this book is urban fiction i'm like because there's a black person in it Mm. like feels weird right it's really that's very questionable to me that this is urban urban experience urban fiction right but like this other book set in New York City is not. Like, right. Explain yeah. that to me because it's the same city. Mm-hmm. So I'm just I'm confused. Um, or like, yeah. you know, they don't talk about like what makes a Christmas. You know, they don't talk about Best Man Holiday as a Christmas movie. Right. You know, right. <laughs> it's like a, a right. I don't know, a, a Kwanzaa movie. I don't know what they call it. I, you know? I, I hate <laughs> holiday movies famously. I don't know if it's famous, but I've. In my house, I'm famous for hating the Christmas holiday things. I, it's not for me. No, no Christmas movies. No, thank you. Not even Elf. No, thank you. Oh my goodness! It's I don't like Christmas music either. Christmas music starts at my house at the very earliest, December twenty third. Okay, yeah, I'm not a big Christmas music person. But my husband will be playing it, and then I'll come home, and I'll be like, "It's got to go off. It's done. <laughs> like it's a no." What a my Grinch. children's what birthday. A are December 22nd. So uh-huh. now it's no Christmas music till after the boy's birthday. Oh, Sorry. that's, that's it's a, her birthday. That's we got to do birthday first. That's <laughs> well, this is only in the last two years. Prior to that, it was just, I don't like Christmas music, but now I'm like, we can't just, it's going to take over the boy's birthday. They, they have to have their own day. You that's know? bogus. Like, that's bogus. That, that's terrible. <laughs> Elf, is, and, Elf is a, is a top tier movie in the best. Well, they're not old enough. Made. No, I the best Christmas music ever ever made. The only one I like, and I will watch it maybe once every five years, is Home Alone Two. Not Home Alone One, Home Alone Two in New York. That's the best one. Well, Donald Trump's in that one, so. Okay, sorry, he's in everything. Yeah, that's he was a pop culture icon. It's not my fault. And then also, and then also, it Home Alone Two really nailed how rich that family was, which made them less likable. Okay, because they were so rich, they were all flying to Paris in the first. They were flying. Movie. They were flying, but the, but dude was like, but he spent like a week at the Ritz at the Trump Tower, and ran up like a ten thousand dollar bill. And the dad was like, Ugh, "Sorry, sorry." Well, his kid sucks. was alive. If your kid did that, you'd be like, "Well, this does really fucking suck." But at least you're alive, and these horrible men didn't get you. Merry Christmas. No, I it's guess. not a great movie. It's just my favorite Christmas movie. But I only like one, and that's it. That's the list. Elf is a, you got. I, I hope that you and your family watch Elf this year. I watched Elf last year, part of it, but then I had to leave the room. It was too much. It's too, too much, much. Too much joy. 
too much joy. At least in those tights. It's a no. It's a no. And the worst one is Love Actually. And I'll fight anybody about no, that. No, Love Actually is a terrible movie. Terrible movie. But I've been hating Love Actually since the first time I ever saw it. Long before everyone, like, in the last three years decided it was bad because it's fat phobic and, like, a little rapey, I think. And there's yeah, just, like, yeah, a lot of bad a, stuff going on. It's a lot of, on. lot of terrible I just didn't I like it theaters. on the merits of the movie. I just was like, I don't like this. Yeah, I liked it for non- um, social justice reasons yeah. also. And but it, now it, I'm like, oh, you like it? Are, so you like rape and fatphobia? <laughs> Fuck you. But secretly, I'm just like, I don't like this movie. Yeah, it sucks. And I just would rather listen. The only Christmas album that exists in my mind is Mariah Carey Christmas. Actually, there's a few. Mariah Carey Christmas is on rotation for the two days. Mm. <laughs> Temptations, Temptations Christmas for a few days. Mm, Donny Hathaway. Uh-huh. And that's it. Yeah, I just Oh, put on- and A Very Merry Christmas Volume 2. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. I got you. I understand. No, I feel you on that one because uh, I, I have I have mixtape series like that. Like yeah, Southern yeah. Smoke Volume Twenty Six is the best Southern Smoke. Yeah, there's just so I feel it's you. like I now that's you. what I call music for is the best one. Yeah, I got you. Trust me, people. Um. Okay. Wait. What else do we have to say about this book? Because we're getting towards the end of our time. Um. Oh wait. I, I know. Sorry. Wait. We have to talk about the language and the memes. Okay. All we right. have to talk yeah. about the social media of it all. Okay. Uh-huh. Because. Eat that sandwich, cold mm. bread, baby. You love it. Now it's probably the room temperature. Yeah, room temperature is perfect now. It's great. <laughs> um, because to me, now when I think about cultural appropriation, it is all about the social media of it all, mm. the the reels, the Vine situation, mm-hmm. how Vine was murdered by white people, the fucking black murder, actual murder videos being mm. shown on repeat constantly. The language, the stealing of the slang, you know, the misuse of all of the words, mispronouncing them like, whoa, Chile. Mm-hmm. What do they say? Right, Chile. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's happening? Like, like the video I mentioned earlier, taking black music and not even knowing what the reference, like all of that, that to me now is like the most obvious manifestation or like the most common manifestation that is just that's like the micro shit that drives me crazy. But the mm. macro part of that is when the like little white girl raps to Busta Rhymes and then gets to go on fucking Ellen. I'm like, mm. Ellen, have you even had Busta Rhymes on your show? <laughs> right, like yeah. the fuck? Ugh. You know, and and the thing is, like, I don't again, I'm so numb to it that it, it doesn't like the actual video itself doesn't upset me. Because it's just, it's, I'm dead inside, right? But it's the, like, it's the reactions to it as if yes. we don't know what's going to happen. You know, like, the 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 white girl at the wedding, right, who rapped the little baby verse on the Drake thing, mm-hmm. right? And it was so clear from the moment I clicked on that video mm-hmm. that there will be an N-word. Mm-hmm. Like uh, controversy, it was so clear, and folks are like, "Why are you hating on her? Are you just gonna assume that she has some sort?" And it took twenty four hours before somebody found that she was calling a deer the n word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it you can you can set your watch to it, yep. but what upsets me is how folks act like that's not going to be the case. You mm-hmm. know, like of course, white folks try your best to appropriate. Make your stupid ice creams and cups and whatever. <laughs> do your dumbass rap videos mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Like, do it. But, like, 
I wish that they could just do it into the void. And the reason they're not doing it into the void is because so many people keep saying, no, this time is different. No, it's not. It's exactly the same as every single time before. But the question that it really begs to me is like, if if you're rapping over a debate or a little baby verse, or like if you're rapping over Busta or Biggie or whoever, if you are taking a song that already exists, is published in the world, mm. is a famous song, why are we celebrating someone singing along to someone else's music? Like that's that's the question because you're not going to take a video of a little black kid rapping along to Busta and be like, wow, this black kid said black words so fast. What a black, you know? <laughs> or, like, or like white folks ain't going to be like uh, just watching a video of a little black kid singing Don't Stop Believing and being yeah. like, oh, you're in, you're in, invited wow. to the honky tonk. Like, yeah. we, like that doesn't, that doesn't like, happen. You didn't write the song. Maybe right. if she wrote the song and was like, wow, this seven-year-old wrote this great rap verse. Like, I'd be like, wow, that is impressive. She's seven. She's a good rapper. Like, take <laughs> right. her to Star Search or whatever the fuck. But like, you're getting credit for singing. It's karaoke. You're getting right. credit. You're going on Ellen for karaoke? Like, please explain this to me. Like, why is this impressive? I do it in my car. I did right. it in my car. I did my parents' car when I was seven. You should hear me do Lionel Richie. I'm incredible. You know, that was really my thing. Big Lionel fan over here. You can do it. Go, go for it. Do it. We need some Lionel. That's actually something you have to pay for. That's that's on my OnlyFans. <laughs> okay. Join the Patreon to hear me sing Lionel Richie. Uh, yeah, no. I th- yeah, it's, it's, the, mach- it's the, the machine that bothers me. Yeah. You know, the yeah. follow through. That right. Like, I, I see white folks doing this stuff and I'm just like, okay. Whatever, but it's the machine follow up and knowing like that it's going to happen, yeah. And being like every single, like every time a black person invites a white person to the cookout, an angel loses its wings. Like that's <laughs> like we, like that's the stuff that bothers me. It's like why are you doing? Like why are you saying that this is incredible? Why are you reposting that white girl singing a little baby rapping right. little baby? Like what? Why do you find value in that? That's the stuff that frustrates me. Right. Why is that valuable in any... That's what I... I just... I'm like, why are you impressed by this? Like, what? It's because, like, we... It's because we just, like... You know, if we could just free ourselves from being enamored with everything white people do. Yeah. You know? That would take... That would go a long way. You know? Like... Right. Like, even, like you said, like, with the food stuff. Like, you know, or I think... I think dress codes in black mm. establishments are the mm. worst. Thing. Like there was this mm-hmm. works on un, not to be named black owned workspace here in Atlanta mm. that I used to have to go to with my old job. It was, that was where we'd work and they had this dress code Mm-mm. and I'm like, but you can go in there. Like if you're wearing a suit, but like you can wear a shitty suit and look like Captain Crunch and walk in there and you'd be following the dress code. Like you can look like a fool. Right. By, and follow. like I, I had always wanted to like go to Party City and buy a pimp suit mm, and like go in no there way. and be, and just because like I just think like that type of stuff, like like free or like why? Like, you know that they're brilliant, hardworking business or whatever black folks who wear sweatpants right. and t-shirts right you I know mean, ugh, and it's like uh, ugh, like the nba dress code the most racist right. fucking oh my god i wrote a paper on that in college <laughs> <laughs> well i mean 
<laughs> Phil Jackson called it prison garb. He said, we yeah. want y'all to stop wearing prison garb yeah. out there. Like, people yeah. forget exactly how racist it that was so bad. Code was. Yeah, it was so bad. No, it's true. It's like this, the pursuit of whiteness, like a respectability politics. I mean, that's what it really is, I guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, and then there's also like the N word of mm. it all, which, right. you know, she has a line in the book that I'm paraphrasing, but it's something on the lines of like, if the word wasn't dangerous or like if it didn't hold power, they wouldn't want to use it. Right. Which like we all know. And by mm. we all, I mean black people, like we get it. But that's always that conversation I I always hate, but the conversation I hate even more, which is sort of to your point is when black people tell me why it shouldn't be used. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no. Yeah. I've never found a compelling argument to get me to stop saying. That's the least compelling argument to me. The like, we can't use it because then they think they can use it. I'm like, they think they can use it. Right. They, right. It's not because I'm using it. They used it before I ever used it and they're like, going to keep using it. Like when what? have ever, whenever have white people been like, Oh, black people, y'all think that's not okay. Let me stop offending you. Like that right. just don't happen. Never. You know? <laughs> Never. Never. And I, and you know, it also begs a question and there's not an answer for this. <laughs> it's just like, whatever. This is the stuff that I probably shouldn't say in the microphone, but I'm going to say it, which is, why can't white people just come up with their own shit? You live uh-huh. in the same world. Like you can't just come up with some words that you guys want to just be using and like that are fine. And you guys just go do your own white shit. Like why, why can't you just sing along to your white songs? Like, cause it's about, to me, it's, I, this is what I think. Like, especially with the N word, it's about being told no. Yeah. It's about, I, I agree that, with the N word, but like, what about everything else? Like, why can't you just make your own food? Why can't you just c- create your own art? Why can't you come up with your own dances on TikTok? Why, when the black kids stopped doing TikTok videos, were there no more dancing videos? You guys mm. couldn't figure out a pot of beret here or a pivot turn there. You couldn't do some body roll. Like, <laughs> why can't they figure it out? And if they can, why don't they? Mm. You could go be a star in your little white shit. Right. It's like the only thing white people have figured out how to be great at and like lead in is like terrorism. That's their jam. That's their mm-hmm. bag. And like, I don't know, come up with come up with some fucking food. Come up with some shit. You've been here just as long as we have. Right. Well, I mean, I think I think it's just like the I I, I want what's yours. Right. I just yeah. want it. You know, yeah. like, I, you know, and <laughs> I, you know, I think I think obviously, you know. White folks are capable human beings. Sure. And like you said, can do these things. I believe in you. But like, what's the joy in that versus give me what's yours? Which is like. What's the joy in us creating? We create stuff all the time and it does give us joy. Well, yeah, we have, but but there's, but I think we have more joy in that than like give me, well, give me what's yours because also there's not that much take from them, but also like, you know, I just think that they, I just think that this is a historical European right. thing of like right. valuing your self-worth <laughs> is what you can take from other people. Right. It's like the right. ethos of colonizing people. Yeah. It's like, it's like I've conquered, like, where do, how do we, how do we determine who the best rulers are? They took the most stuff, oh, you know? This is and it's like now... I want, you know, and and that's the that's a value system that's been created for generations. Mm-hmm. And to continue on that value system, I want to show you what I took. Right. And like even like when the, you know, these, you know, Nazi white dudes who are on Twitter who are like, you know, 
we enslaved y'all and we did this to we like that's the value system right that comes from is what can I take and what can I make into my own and right. to like make you and to continue to make you want to be like me. Right. You know? Right. And the way to continue making you want to be like me is to take the shit that's yours. Right. Make you start. And then make you want to get it back. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like take this thing that's yours and you want it, like come get it. Right. From my side of town. Right. And usually black people are like, we don't even want it anymore. You right. It's like, we don't want it anymore. And then we're going to create another thing. And it's like, okay, no, no, no. I want, I want that thing too. Yeah, it's like we. By the time it becomes a thing that white people are super into, it's like we've already moved on, right? You know? Okay. The last thing we always talk about on every episode for the book club is title and cover. What did mm. you think of the title? What did you think of the cover? The title to remind people is "White Negroes When Cornrows Were in Vogue" and other thoughts on cultural appropriation. And the cover sort of light pink with like yellow braids. I really like. I like the because like the cover sort of is like. I don't know if these are, I don't know if these, now that I look at it closely, I don't know what these tra- little tracks are, but they sort of reminded me of like the. They're braids, I think. Like cornrows. Are they braids? Oh, they That's are That's what cornrows. I thought. But oh, also they kind sense. of look like gold chains also. Like they could be like oh, okay. gold chains. They could be like, that's what I thought. But what did you oh, okay. think? Okay, that makes sense. I was thinking like the little feathery things that like Caesar would wear. Like oh, the little crown okay. and like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like the the <laughs> ruler type of yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Um, the only thing was that I thought that like the cornrows was probably was like the least fascinating. Like you know, like I and wanted she talked something- about it the least. Yeah, like I kind of w- but like you know uh, I understand like you had to pick yeah. something that would go there. But I thought yeah, I, I I thought I mean I think I bought the book because of the title. Yeah, you know, the title's just, fantastic. Yeah, the subtitle's yeah. medium, but the title yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. I agree. Okay, we did it. We ate peanut butter and jelly. Yes. We talked about basketball. Again, don't worry. We yes. got it in, everybody. And, and I mentioned Guy Fieri, which is- We mentioned Guy favorite. Fieri, which was so important. <laughs> I This feels successful. You're eating peanut butter and jelly again. This feels successful I mean, to me. Mm. I feel like we nailed it. Um uh-huh. Everybody, this is David Dennis Jr. His book is called The Movement Made Us. If you haven't read it yet, you absolutely must. It's so good. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm going to continue um, eating yeah. um, room temperature bread now. Do this, you. this is so much better because it's room temperature. So. Sure. Arguable. Everybody else, we will see you in the stacks. That does it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, of course, to David Dennis for being our guest. And I can now reveal the Stacks Book Club pick for July. It is a classic Sudanese novel. It's called Season of Migration to the North by Tayeb Salih. We will be discussing the book on July 27. Listen to next week's episode to find out who our guest will be for that conversation. If you love this show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the Stacks to join the Stacks Pack. Make sure you're subscribed to The Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple or Spotify, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram, at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter, and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. This episode of The Stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. Tracy Thomas.